Let's turn to Hebrews this morning to the fifth chapter as we continue to study this epistle to the Hebrews. And Lord, we pray as we look now once again at this great letter Uh, that was written to those Jewish believers so long ago, but yet has uh, application, as all of your word does, to us today. Lord, speak to us today through this word, we pray. And Lord, give us uh, a sensitive heart. Give us uh, an ear that can hear the things of the Spirit. We don't want to be like those who had become dull of hearing, but Lord, we want to... Uh, be continuing to grow in our uh, sensitivity and receptivity to your spirit. So um, work that in us through our time together this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to chapter five, as we're making our way through this epistle, uh, the author has been uh, speaking to us about the, the priesthood of Christ. And back in the third chapter, the beginning of the third chapter, he said, uh, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. And uh, so he's been building on this, uh, this, this picture of Jesus as being our great high priest. And as we came to the end of the fourth chapter, uh, he, he kind of you know, solidifies some of that there by uh, reminding us of just how wonderful it is that, that Jesus is in this position. And so let me just pick up in verse 14 of chapter four, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, tested, tried as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So chapter 5, verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, remember the... um, the recipients of this letter originally were, were Jews. And um, I think, you know, probably Jews that dwelt in Israel or in Jerusalem, those who were very uh, familiar with the temple services, the sacrificial system, the priesthood and all of that. And so uh, the writer is uh, appealing to all of these things that they would be familiar with. Uh, to communicate to them certain things about Jesus as the Messiah, but who is also simultaneously our high priest. And, and the point that he's in some ways continuing to drive home here is that Jesus had uh, the full human experience because what he's wanting us to 
um, remember is that in Christ, we have this sympathetic high priest. We have this person who is, is there at the right hand of God. He's there making intercession for us. He's there uh, to you know, take up our cause, if you will. And the important thing to remember is that he's, he's been in our shoes. And so he's just stating that in a number of different ways. And so here, uh, talking about the high priesthood, as he goes into the fifth chapter, he's emphasizing the fact that uh, every priest, they were taken among men and, and appointed for men, and how they could have compassion because uh, the high priest themselves, um, they were uh, compassed about with weakness. And so, again, Jesus understands our plight. But he points out that no one took this position to himself. Uh, only those who were appointed by God, and then he makes reference to Aaron. So Aaron, for those of you that might not be aware of this, uh, Aaron was the brother of Moses. And if you go back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus, which begins with the deliverance of the children of Israel from their captivity in Egypt, but closes with the establishing of this covenant, uh, what, we, we call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but that covenant was established and it, it consisted of the, the commandments that were given, the, the law of Moses, and it also consisted of a tabernacle that was built, sacrifices that were implemented, and a priesthood that carried out the, the spiritual duty relating to the tabernacle. And Aaron, the brother of Moses, was appointed as the first high priest. So he didn't choose to be the high priest himself. He was appointed as high priest. And so his point, as he goes on into verse five, is so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so just as Aaron was appointed by God to be the high priest, the, the author is arguing that Jesus was appointed by God to be our great high priest, but not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is going to be a total education for these uh, recipients of the, the letter, because nobody uh, knew anything at this point about uh, really the, the order of uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an interesting figure that shows up. Um, he, he actually shows up in scripture in Genesis 14, and he's mentioned once again in the Old Testament in the 110th Psalm. But apart from the one appearance in Genesis 14 and the one mention in Psalm 110, there, there's no other references in the entire Old Testament to Melchizedek. Now, in Genesis 14, we learn about Melchizedek, uh, that he was a priest of God Most High. He met Abraham after a great battle, and he blessed Abraham, and that's the end of the story. We don't hear any more about him. And then centuries later, David is penning a psalm, and in the 110th Psalm, he says, as is quoted here, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
So what the author is going to go on and show now is that Jesus, like Aaron, was appointed high priest, but since Jesus is not um, part of the the family of Levi, he comes from a different tribe, he comes from the tribe of Judah, some Jews would argue, well, how could Jesus be a, a high priest since he's not related to Aaron? And the author goes on to show that he's a high priest according to another order, that is the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to get deeper into the whole um, subject of Melchizedek as we make our way through, and we'll save that for the seventh chapter where the author uh, really uh, delves deeply into who Melchizedek is. But, but his, he introduces Melchizedek here, and he's wanting to talk about them, about the significance of the priesthood of Melchizedek, but there's a problem, and that's what he addresses here in the remainder of the chapter. And the promise is essentially these people are not ready to receive it, although they should be. So let's pick up and read from verse 7, speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as priest, as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So simply he's saying, look, I want to tell you uh, some really important things. I I want you to to go to a a deeper understanding of this priestly ministry of Christ. And I want to to do that by introducing you to the priesthood of Melchizedek. But the problem is you're not ready to receive it. And so this is um, one of those places in this letter where there is a rebuke and this rebuke is followed by a strong warning. Those of you that have been with us, you remember that this, this epistle is full of warnings because the author is concerned that these people who have enjoyed a relationship with God through their faith in Jesus as the Messiah are, are drifting back into ritual. They're going back and embracing the ritual, and in doing so, they're they're leaving the relational aspect of it. So he's going to um, deal with that as we come to uh, verses 12 through 14. And then into the sixth chapter, he's going to even address it further and give uh, another one of those really strong warnings. But before we get to verses 12 through 14, which we're going to focus on, let me just touch on verses eight and nine Uh, real quickly. So speaking of Christ, though he was a son, though he was God's son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This does not in any way suggest that Jesus was ever disobedient and he needed to learn how to be obedient. What it's telling us is that, uh, again, he went through the full human experience. Though he was God's son and equal with the father, when he became a man, he learned by experience what it was like to obey God. 
And so he went through the difficulties and the challenges and the ups and downs and the temptations, and he remained faithful um, and was obedient through all of that. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so the idea of him being perfected here means that he went through the complete experience as a human being. And going through the complete experience of life, he was faithful and obedient all the way through. And so as a result of that, he has become the author or the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And now called of God as high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing And then verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's saying, as you can see, look, I want to I tell you something about the priesthood of Christ. I want to talk to you about Melchizedek. The problem is you, you've become dull of hearing. So the, the, uh, the implication of the statement is that they, they previously were more spiritually attuned. They, they were sharper at a previous time. They had become dull of hearing. And that's the, the problem that we want to address today, the, the issue of, of being dull of hearing. Uh, how does that happen and how do we avoid it? But let's also look at um, three things here in verses 12 through 14 that we see uh, that God expects. Number one, God expects us to make spiritual progress. God expects us to make spiritual progress. Now, there's a legitimate place to be, as he refers to here, there's a legitimate place to be a babe, um, an infant. And there's a place where, a a legitimate place where we uh, take in just, you know, the basic foundational kinds of things uh, to grow, just like, just like a baby takes in milk initially, and as the baby grows and becomes stronger and more mature, then, of course, the baby transitions from milk to solid food. And so there's a legitimate place for uh, spiritual infancy and, you know, be, being a, uh, in, in a state of being a spiritual babe, but a babe is to grow into maturity. And these people had become arrested in their uh, state of growth. They, they had not progressed beyond uh, the infancy. And that was uh, contrary to what God expected. So God expects us to make spiritual progress. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become mature. Uh, he expects us, every one of us, to be able at a certain point 
to teach others the things that we have learned. Now, this isn't uh, suggesting that every Christian needs to become a pastor or um, you know, a, a Bible teacher in an uh, academic sense or something like that. But the, the idea is that every one of us as Christians are to grow uh, to the extent in our faith that we are able to pass those basic things on to other people that we're able to sit down and, and lay out the gospel and the foundational aspects of the Christian life to others, that, that every one of us would be uh, able to do that. Now, in the gospel accounts, we find that the, the followers of Jesus were referred to as the disciples. And uh, a disciple is a follower, but a disciple is a follower who follows closely, not, not one who follows at a distance, but one who follows closely with the intent of receiving instruction from the master and applying that instruction to their life. The Greek word translated in the New Testament, disciple, is the Greek word mathetes. And we get our word mathematics from that. And so the idea is a disciple is a learner. A disciple is somebody who is listening closely with the uh, objective of learning and applying to their life the information that's being imparted by the master. So that's God's desire for every one of us, that we are disciples in that sense. And remember, Jesus, before he departed, he said to his disciples, he said, go now and make disciples of all the nations. Now, like I said, uh, that's not just for, in that particular case, it wasn't just for those, uh, those apostles to do. It was for all the believers to do. And so in our case today, to go and make disciples is not um, just my task because I happen to be in a pastoral role, but it's the task of every believer that we make disciples in as much as we uh, take people through uh, the, the fundamental truths of the gospel that can bring them to faith in Jesus and get them uh, started on the path of growth. So God expects us to make spiritual progress. Uh, secondly, spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. So look again at verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So you see the connection here with the word, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use. So God expects us To make spiritual progress, spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. Those who by reason of use. So it's important to note, I think, that these two things go together, knowing and doing. You see, it's not merely the accumulation of information about God and biblical things that we're primarily concerned with. Uh, It's not an academic um, exercise primarily. It's not about getting, uh, you know, to know as many Bible verses as we possibly can. 
Uh, some people have uh, more of, of a mental capacity than other people. You know, some, there are certain people, I know certain people who are very sharp mentally, uh, and, you know, they've got. Um, the, the ability to memorize, they've got the ability to recall, uh, comprehend, and they, you know, they've just got this amazing uh, wealth stored in their minds, and at any given moment, they could rattle off you know, 10 scriptures and, and quote them perfectly, and even give you chapter and verse. And you look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. That is, oh, gosh, I wish I was like that, and man, that person must be so spiritual and that person must be so godly and that that person must be so mature. Well, listen, not necessarily. You see, that's the that's the sign of a good sharp mind, and that's a good thing. I'm I'm not putting that down. I'm envious of the people who have that kind of sharpness. But that's not all we're talking about. We're talking about not simply knowing, but we're talking about doing it as well. And that's what God expects for, uh, from us, that we not only know God's word, but we do God's word. So on the other hand, I've known and I do know people who don't have that same kind of intellectual sharpness necessarily. They can't rattle off all those scriptures perfectly to you. Uh, you know, they might have two or three that they've committed to memory and then they kind of, uh, you know, stammer through them when they try to repeat them, but they've taken those truths and they've applied them so deeply to their lives. You see the transformation has taken place and that's what God's really looking for. So this is what God expects, that we progress spiritually and that spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. So of course we can't do it if we don't know it, right? So we have the, the commitment and the obligation to learn it, but with the intent of applying it to our lives. There's a stage that's, that sometimes we go through. You know, I, many Christians have gone through this stage. I think I probably did as well. Where you, you get a bunch of knowledge. Um but it doesn't, it doesn't translate into your life. It doesn't result in transformation. It doesn't produce a deep humility. So uh, you get a bunch of spiritual knowledge or you know, biblical knowledge, and you're all proud about that. And, and there's something, Paul even tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, knowledge puffs up. There's, there's a tendency for knowledge to puff up, isn't there? You know, when you get uh, to a place where you know more than other people about anything, really, you know, you can apply this across the board. Somebody thinks they know better than any, somebody else, then you know, generally they get uh, lifted up with pride over that. And that happens as well with the Christian experience. And over the years, I have seen many... Um, you know, many people who, like I said, you know, they, they've got a ton of knowledge, but they've got a ton of arrogance to go with it. And those two things don't really work that well together when we're talking about, um, you know, being more and more like Jesus. So knowing and doing. But then thirdly, spiritual progress is seen as, 
or seen in an increasing ability to distinguish between good and evil and to choose the good. That's the idea here. Not just the ability to recognize good and evil, but to know uh, the difference between good and evil and then to choose the good. So these are the three things. God expects us to make spiritual progress. Spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. Uh, Spiritual progress is evidenced in an increasing ability to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, and do the good. So what's the problem? What was the problem here? The problem here was that they were not making progress because they had become dull of hearing. And this is the same uh, problem that we face today. We, we can become dull of hearing. Our, our spiritual senses can be dulled. Now, in their case, because the question I want to address here is, well, how does that happen? How does one go from, you know, a, a spiritual sharpness? How does, how does one, you know, regress to, to a state of being dull spiritually? Well, in their case, it happened as a result of moving from relationship to ritual. It was a matter of the heart. Because if you looked at these people from the outside, you wouldn't necessarily see that there was any, anything that was real different. Because in the context here, remember, these are Jews. And so their, their big temptation is not to go do the kinds of things Gentiles did. It wasn't like they were going to go out and fornicate and commit adultery and get engaged in uh, sexual immorality. It wasn't like they were going to go down and begin to worship at uh, the temple of Diana or the temple of Jupiter or, or something like that. It wasn't that they were going to go out and get caught up in the, the grosser, more obvious kinds of sins that the Gentiles engaged in. What they were going to do is just go back and reconnect with the ritual of the temple and the priesthood and all of that. But in doing that, they were trading ritual, and, and in a sense, we, we use this distinction sometimes, you know, the difference between religion and relationship. They were, they were becoming maybe even more devoted to religion, but at the same time, they were moving away from the relationship. And this is where we also have to be careful, because like I said, becoming dull of hearing starts in the heart. So you might continue to do the ritual, the religious thing that you've always done, attend church so many times a week and go through a, you know, some sort of a, a prayer group or, or, or something you know, that, that looks outwardly spiritual. You're still engaged in those things, but your heart has long since moved away from the, the intimacy that you once knew with the Lord. That's how spiritual dullness sets in. Jesus told a parable um, about the impact of God's word, and we commonly refer to it as the parable of the sower, but he talked about how you know the word of God uh, is like a seed that falls on different kinds of soil, 
And first it falls on this rock uh, or this path that's um, hardened. And, um, and immediately the birds snatch it up. So it never has a chance to take any root. Then it falls on uh, rocky soil. And it sprouts up quickly, but the roots never go deep because the soil is rocky. But then it also falls uh, on the thorny ground. It falls among the thorns or the weeds. And it grows up and it appears like it's going to be uh, producing fruit at some point. But eventually the weeds all around it choke the life out of it. And then finally, the fourth one is it falls on good soil and it produces a crop. So Jesus said, this is pretty much the human heart. This is, this is what happens with certain people. So the word of God comes and before it can ever take any root at all, the devil comes and snatches it away. So a person hears it, they're kind of you know, in, intrigued by it, but before they can even move in the direction of, of starting to maybe embrace it, the enemy comes and gives them 10 reasons why, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to think about that. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be one of those weird people. You know, all of those kinds of things, boom, it's snatched away. It's gone. But then there's the next one. Jesus said, well, this is the person who hears it and it sounds so good. Wow. God loves me and I can have my sins forgiven and I can go to heaven and that, that all sounds so great and uh, God will be for me. Okay, I'm going to believe that. But then difficulties come along. Trouble comes our way. Persecution because of the word. Somebody comes along and says, oh, what? You believe in Jesus? What kind of idiot are you? That's stupid. You shouldn't believe in that. There's no proof for that. Don't you know that none of that's true and, and uh, we don't want you, you know, part of our group anymore if you're going to believe that sort of thing. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. And so that person just drifts right back in to where they were before. There's no, there's no real root that takes place and they, they don't progress anywhere beyond that. They fall away, Jesus said. And then there's the third one. And this is the one that is, is the most commonly noticed, I think. The first one, we might not even know it's happened because it kind of takes place just within the, uh, you know, the person's own experience. The second one, we might be, have an opportunity to see somebody that, hey, you know, they showed up temporarily, they were here, they were excited, but you know, a few weeks later they were gone, we never saw them again. But then there's the ones that seem to take root and sprout up and they look so promising and you're waiting and you're looking and you're watching, but instead of the fruit coming, suddenly other things start to come in and take the priority. And Jesus said that the third, the one that fell among the thorns and was choked out, he said, this is the one who receives the word, but then three things, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, they come and choke out the word. So it never produces fruit. You see, that's what happens. And that is what leads to this condition that the writer is warning about, this dullness of hearing. There was once a sharpness. There was once uh, a, you know, they were, a person was very much in tune to God's word and God's spirit and they were receiving from him and they were making spiritual progress. But then the cares of this life, just 
the busyness of life. Just, well, I've got to do these other things, and this is important, and I've got these other obligations, and well, you know, we need a break, and we need a vacation, and all of these kinds of things, all of which are realities that we all deal with, but they're always there trying to take over, and some people let them take over, the cares of this life. Instead of entrusting those things to God, instead of depending on God, they're depending on themselves, and they end up never really progressing. But then there's the deceitfulness of riches. And this is a huge one. The deceitfulness of riches. People thinking that, well, I, I, need, I need more. I need, a, um, you know, I need a better income. I need a bigger home. I need a faster car. I need what, all of those kinds of things. I'm, I'm going to be fulfilled if I can get richer. The deceitfulness of riches. And I love just the way Jesus phrases that. The deceitfulness of riches. Why does he put it that way? Because riches fool you. They fool you into thinking that this is how you get happy. There's tons of people that think that, right? Man, if I just had more money, I'd be happy. Well, people with the most money in the world are not happy for the most part. So that's it. The deceitfulness of riches. Um, the desire for other things. Just this thing where you just, you know, you start to desire other things in the heart. Oh, yeah, you know, Bible study, reading the Bible, devotions. Yeah, you know, that's it kind of, after a while, it gets a little bit old. Your heart starts to, to disengage from that. And that's how this, this dullness of hearing sets in. You know, it's interesting from the, uh, a musical standpoint, for example. You know, if you have any musical inclination at all, uh, you, you know that you can, you can develop your, uh, your ear to, to a point where you can become highly sensitive to tones and sounds and notes and chords and you know that that happens just like it says here with the word it happens through um uh, the um reason of use the more you put yourself in that place to have to listen when i was young and just learning to play guitar i did not even know back then that you had to tune a guitar it's <laughs> like Glad somebody finally told me that, you know, it's like, I was wondering why this didn't sound quite right. But, you know, so, okay, that's step one. You figure out you got to tune this guitar and, and still, okay, you know, you got to tune it, but well, how do I tune a guitar? Well, you start, you know, maybe you get a tuning fork and you hit it and there you got the, the tone of, you've got E and you tune according to that and so forth. But then, you know, you, you start to get, my point is you start to get familiar with what that sounds like. You know what an E note sounds like. You know what an A sounds like. You know what a G sounds like and so forth. And, and so you, you, and the more you subject yourself to that, the more you put yourself in that place, you develop your ear. You, you grow and you learn. So the moment you pick up your guitar and you hit an E chord and your guitar's not tuned, you know it immediately and you know how to remedy the problem. You know which string needs to be tuned. 
And as you consistently do that, you become more and more attuned. You become more and more you know, sensitive to those sounds and you become more capable and competent musically. Um, but then if you neglect that, you have the same sort of a situation where what happens is over time, you once again become dull of hearing. You become dull of hearing through neglect. And so here I am today, if you brought me your out-of-tune guitar and asked me to tune it, I could get it close, but probably better get just a tuner yourself and, you know, (laughs) an automatic tuner. Because my ear has become dull from lack of use. And this is the, the, the idea here. A lack of subjecting ourselves to God's word with the intention of letting it impact our lives will cause us to become dull of hearing spiritually. So to avoid this dullness of hearing, I have got to, as it says here, I have got to uh, exercise myself in this area by reason of use. So the more you use that ability to hear, the more fine-tuned your hearing becomes. The more you use that ability that God has given you to hear his word and to apply his word in your life, you know what happens? The more sensitive you become to the spirit. And what also happens is you you start to grow deeper and, and to understand and see things that you didn't see before. And that's what the author is saying to these guys. I want to take you somewhere. I want to show you things about Christ that you haven't seen before. I want to show you uh, this priesthood according to Melchizedek, but you guys, you're not in a place to, to be able to receive it. And, you know, for some of us today, God would be saying something similar. You know, I want to show you things. I want to take you deeper. I want you to know me better. I want you to experience me in a greater way. But you, you're not there because you've become dull of hearing. So what do we, we've got to do? We've got to do what, they, uh, what he's suggesting here. We've got to um, exercise ourselves by reason of use. We've got to put ourselves under the authority of God's word and subject ourselves to it and let it have that, uh, that presence in our life that it needs to have. And with the, the determination on our part that we're going to not just uh, read it to figure out uh, you know, intellectually what it says, but in order to apply it to our situation. And as we do that, that's where progress is made. So Jesus said this. He said, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. For the one who hears, to them more will be given. So take heed how you hear. As we subject ourselves to God's word as we open his word, as we study it together collectively as a body, whether it's here Sunday morning or any one of the different gatherings throughout the week, or as you personally gather maybe in a, uh, a home group or something like that and study, or even more so as you open it up on your own and you're taking the time and saying, God, you know, speak to me. The more you do that with a heart 
that's saying, Lord, I want to learn this so I can apply it and experience the transformation. The more you do that, the more that indeed will happen. You will begin to see things that you haven't seen before. You'll begin to get a new perspective on things. You'll, you'll get fresh understanding. You'll, you'll be able to go places in God's word and, and connect things that, that you hadn't been able to connect before. And again, this isn't just so you got all this cool information in your head, but these things, as all of these dots connect, and as we go deeper, these impact our lives. These transform us from the inside out. These give us hope and peace and joy and, and all of those things that we need as we make the journey through life. And so as we close today, let's remember these things. God expects us to make spiritual progress and progress is linked to knowing and doing his word. And if you've become dull of hearing, which is possible that you have because we all have become that at certain times. And the problem is not merely to become dull of hearing. The bigger problem is to, once we're there, to fail to do what we need to do to reverse that, to remedy that. So if today you're, you're listening, you're saying, yeah, you know, that's me. Even, you know, reluctantly, you have to admit that. Yeah, that's me. Okay, then know this. Uh, God has a remedy for that. He wants to turn that around. It, just like I was using the illustration with the music. You know, if I decided today, okay, for the next six months, I'm going to play my guitar every day. I'm going to go through the scales every day. I'm going to, you know, go through a tuning exercise every day. Six months from now, I would be much more proficient at playing my guitar than I am right now. And so likewise, as you say today, Lord, I am going to subject myself to your word. And I am going to expect that, that you're going to soften my heart. You're going to renew my capacity to hear. And you're going to bring that transformation. And I'm just going to put myself um, in that place for you to do that consistently, daily. You're, you're going to find six months from now, you're going to make progress. But listen, one final thing. Uh, sometimes in the, to, to get started is the biggest challenge. Do you get started is the biggest challenge because maybe you've lost the habit. Maybe you've lost the habit of, of just, you know, personally seeking the Lord and you're going to have to discipline yourself to get back into it. But work through that initial stage. Don't, don't be discouraged because it might not come as easily as you would like it to. And I'm going to keep using this illustration of the guitar. You know, if I decided today that I was going to do that, you know what? For the next three weeks, my fingers would hurt like heck. That's what happens. When you start playing notes and going through scales and all that, your fingers get raw and they ache and your hand's tired because it's not used to gripping your neck on your guitar. And, you know, you have to just go through this, this season in order to restore those things. And my point is this, you know, a little ways into it, you can be tempted to just say, oh, forget it. I don't even care. It's too painful. And, and we might be tempted to do the same thing. Well, you know, I'm not making progress and this is so difficult and, you know, you're out of spiritual shape. Ask God to give you the grace to press through that, that initial season. 
because there's a, there's a, a promise of blessing that, that is awaiting you on the other side. Don't let the initial difficulty discourage you. God will give you the grace to push through and you on the other side will be blessed because through reason of use, your senses will be exercised to discern good and evil, to choose the good. And of course, as we choose to do the good, the blessing is there. Blessed is the man who delights in God's word, meditates in it day and night with, again, the idea of practicing it. That person is going to be blessed. So Lord, help us, we pray, to not be dull of hearing, to not be in a place where we can't receive the things that you want to give to us because our hearts have grown hard. Lord, would you work by your spirit through your grace to soften our hearts that we might be, become more and more sensitive to you. Lord, that we would find ourselves just uh, being more and more attuned to the spirit, the voice of the spirit coming through your word. And as we get more and more familiar once again with what that sounds like, that that would just open us up to that speaking voice of your spirit to our hearts as we go through our daily lives. And that, Lord, through this new sensitivity, we could even go deeper into the things that you want to impart to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have things that you want to share with us that are going to take us deeper in our relationship with you. You want us to grow. You want us to progress. You expect that from us. And you have the way as we yield to you to make that happen. So do that in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.